So uh, a, a theme for our church, Sulphur Community Church. I know we got a lot of guests here, um, and and so this is. We'll get into it here in just a minute, but but I just kind of want to jump off by saying that the the thing that we, uh, as a church family, uh, walk the rhythm that we walk in is under this idea that we exist to make much of God in our neighborhoods and to the nations by reflecting Jesus Christ. And I know there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of ways that we can, we can package that up and, and, and put that out there. But what we believe is most important is that God is made much of. Uh, that God is, uh, is, is the supreme one uh, in our neighborhoods and to the nations. That people uh, w- wouldn't see uh, uh, anyone or anything as more important as him. Um, and by making much of him, what I mean is that we worship him, uh, that we, we set him at high esteem. And, and we do that uh, among the neighborhoods and to the nations. And what we mean by that is wherever we, walk, we, are, we are, wherever we walk, uh, even if we're actively pursuing the obedience of God uh, to all peoples, uh, every tribe, nation, language, and tongue, whether they be in our community or across the globe, we exist to make much of God among those people. Uh, we want to see uh, every, uh, every people group, every tribe, every nation, every tongue worship the one true God. And we do that by reflecting Jesus Christ. Jesus kind of, he gave us... Um, he gave us ways to emulate him, not to be him, but to emulate him. Here's ways to walk in, 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 a, in a kingdom mindset, in a way that is going to bring about his glory and his name and his fame among the world. Um, and, and so that's how we do that. So we exist as a church to make much of God in our neighborhoods and to the nations by reflecting Jesus Christ. And that's what we operate on. That's, how, that's what drives us and motivates us. And I want to use that uh, for, uh, for this morning to uh, just to recapture our imaginations, just to kind of really start, have us start thinking about that. Um, like, what does it mean for this church? This body of believers, um, the people in this room, even if you're not like part of our family, I, ho- I hope that this would be a challenge and an encouragement to you uh, this morning also. Um, what does it mean? What does it look like for us to engage the neighborhoods? What does it look like for us to engage the nations with the gospel? What does it practically look like? Not just like in a general sense, but specifically asking this question for each one of us individually. How might I engage the world? How might I engage this neighborhood? How might I I engage the, the, the globe, the nations, with the gospel of Jesus? Because the only way that this broad vision, and that's why it's a broad vision, right? It's, it's big and it, it seems kind of distant, right? But, but the only way that this vision, that general and broad vision gets traction, the only way it actually becomes a reality, is not if the leadership of this church buys into it. That's not how it's going to get traction and get mobility and get moving. That's not how it's going to work. It's if every individual person cares about it. If it's every individual person who believes in it, who, who has a passion for it, who understands the vision and says, yes, that's, what I, that's why I exist. Not why we exist, but why I exist. I exist to make much of God. And I, I exist to make much of God in my neighborhood. And I exist to make much of God among the nations by being a reflection of Jesus Christ, of walking in, his, walking in obedience to the things that he taught me, the things that he's, he's shown me through his scriptures. That's how that's going to happen. And so you have to believe and care in this vision, and you have to care about this vision for us to have the slightest chance of making a difference in this community and in this world. It's not enough that I believe that. It's not enough that our leadership, our other pastors, and, and all your family group leaders believe that. It's that. Every individual person believes that and buys into it. 
And I realize that when I talk about that, right, when I talk about, you know, you have to go and make much of God in the neighborhoods and among the nations by reflecting Jesus Christ, you have to prioritize the gospel in your own individual life. Like you had this tendency to just kind of check out. It's like, man, that's, and I don't believe, listen, it's not that I don't think you, like you don't care about that. I believe you care about that, but I believe you tend to check out because, man, that's, that's like scaling the peaks of Mount Everest. That's what it sounds like to me. It's overwhelming, and I don't even know where to start with that. That's why I believe we have the tendency to check out, and I get that. I struggle with that. Like me, you probably weren't praying on the way to church this morning asking God to show you where he's working in the world today and how might you join him. Anybody pray that on the way to church this morning, thinking about that? At best, we're probably on our way to church thinking, man, Lord, just give me a word of encouragement today. My week has been scattered from one end of the globe to the next. I have got stresses upon stresses. I just need a little bit of encouragement, right? Like at best, that's what we're thinking when we're on our way here this morning. And likely, likely, out of our monotonous routine and and just kind of our, our, our rhythms of life, we may have not thought about what God's doing at all this morning. What I'm hoping for and I'm praying for us today is like God would broaden our understanding, that he would open our minds and open our hearts for what does it actually mean to have faith in him? What does it mean to be faithfully following Jesus? For me, for you individually, not as a group of people, not this uh, theoretical uh, comment that I'm making. I'm saying individually, what might it look like that we would be willing to even ask the question, that that we would even be brave enough and bold enough to say, What does it look like for me to follow Jesus? And so for my brothers and sisters in the room, you who say I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, this striving to be faithful to Jesus, this is the thing that kind of binds us together. We're all just trying to kind of push through this world. We're trying to be faithful and obedient. And that's the thing that we have in common. That's the thing that binds us together. And so for my friends in the room who might not call Jesus your Lord, the ones who might say you're a little bit skeptical of the whole thing and that you've got questions and doubts and you might not call yourself a Christian per se or a follower of Jesus, um, I can't realistically ask you to be faithful to obey, obey Jesus until you see him for who he is. Uh, to see Jesus, like your aim in life if you're not sure about your walk with Christ, if you're not sure where you are with Christ, if you're, like if you're all in or not, or if you just kind of, you know, you've you're, you got a lot of doubts, got a lot of questions that need to be answered before you can really say yes to Jesus, your aim in, in life, in your whole life, is to be faithful to Jesus. That's it. And, and, and but in order to, to be faithful to Jesus, you have to see him as your soul satisfier in life. You have to see him as the one who's going to fulfill the things that you long for. The things that, that are empty in your heart and in your soul, that's, that's, that's what it's going to take for you. And so I'm not asking you today to be obedient to what Jesus says to do. If you don't see Jesus as all beautiful, as all powerful, as the one who come to save you and to rescue you and redeem you and make you right with God, that's where it starts. You cannot be obedient to what Jesus calls us to until then. 
That's what enables us to be obedient. So as you consider what it means to be faithfully reflecting Jesus Christ, to be a faithful reflection of him, you're going to be forced to re- be, you're going you're gonna to have to reckon with some of the commands that he says, that, that he gives us in scripture, to go to the, the neighborhoods, to go to the nations. We're going to be forced to reckon with Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. As we consider being faithful to Jesus, we have to, we have to reconcile that. That he calls every single believer, every single person who, who says yes to Jesus, I'll follow you Jesus. This is what it looks like to follow him. We're going to be forced to reckon with what he says in the Gospel of Luke. That it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. We've got to reconcile this. That our lives with this. We have, to, we have to reckon with Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. So when we start thinking about what does it look like for me to faithfully follow Jesus. We have to think about these commands that he's given us. To go. To be about going, to be about going into the community, going into the neighborhoods and going to the nations to to preach this good news. C.H. Spurgeon said this, he said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. There's no like, I'm called to this and not that kind of thing. Either you are a missionary or you are an imposter, brother and sister. The gospel's only going to go to the neighborhoods. It's only going to go to the nations when the individual person, when the people that are sitting and occupying these seats, the ones that I'm looking at, when the gospel's going to go to the neighborhoods and to the nations, when you seriously start asking the question, what does it look like for me to faithfully reflect Jesus? What does it look like? This doesn't mean automatically that every Christian has to pack a bag, get on a plane, and go somewhere. That's not what I'm trying to say. That's not what I mean. But what it does look like is that every believer have their role in the mission. Every single believer have their role in the mission of God. These commands that Jesus has given us. Some by going and others by sending and supporting those who go. Our church has been... Oh, for 13 weeks now, walking through the book of Philippians. We started way at the early spring, and, and we've, been, we've been just kind of walking verse by verse, being uh, encouraged by the faithfulness, by the tenacity of this first century group of believers, this small band of believers. And in the New Testament church, there are several local churches that are mentioned. A lot of these letters that are written, they're written to these local churches uh, in the New Testament. And they're all over the map, man. Some of them are suffering churches. They're going through persecution and hardship. Uh, some of them are just kind of on the fringes of society. Some of them are struggling with poverty. Others are healthy. Some are really, really dysfunctional. And so they're kind of all over the place. And so, some are there, like, if, if I could be honest with you, like, I wouldn't want our church to be that kind of church. I don't want to get a letter from Paul like he had to write to 1 Corinthians. I mean, that was, those people were dysfunctional. And they, like, their worship turned into some crazy stuff. And he had to, the whole letter to the, to, the, to the Corinthians, the first letter, is just a correction said, hey, man, you guys are way off the map. So I don't want to be known for that kind of church. I don't want to emulate that kind of church. But what we have done is looked at the church of Phil, at Philippi, and that's the one that I feel like we want to emulate. 
It's just a book full of encouragement. He, he doesn't, it, you can read most every other New Testament letter that he wrote to the local churches there. Uh, and, and they were, uh, they had some kind of correction, some encouragement. And some of them were just full of correction and rebuke and different things. But the letter to the church at Philippi was just encouraging them to keep on. Keep on doing what you're doing. Don't let these things get in your way. You guys are headed in the right direction. Keep going. And so we've picked this book to walk through, to encourage us, to give us a glimpse of what a, what a good local church should look like and how we might be able to emulate that, how we might be able to look at that and maybe copy the way this church uh, faithfully followed Jesus. And when, they, when Paul opened the letter, when we, we opened this letter 13 weeks ago, he says this in verse uh, 3 of chapter 1. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. And that's been the theme of this whole, uh, this whole time through the book of Philippians, is joy, joy, joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. He's writing this letter from jail. He's chained up. He's in prison. And it's not like some kind of country club prison he's in. He's, he's in a Roman prison. He is locked down. He doesn't have freedoms. And he's writing this letter talking about how much joy he has. And how much joy he's been given by, their, by the church at Philippi. Their, their act of, of kindness and partnership and friendship with him. How that's just kind of given him life and given him joy. Even in the midst of where he is in this, in this time that he's writing this, this letter. And so we get this picture then of what a healthy and what a faithful church looks like. Paul is praising this group of people for their commitment and their determination to make Jesus known among the neighborhoods and among the nations. Like he was, he was adamant about praising them. And even when it seemed logical to abandon Paul, he, like, to associate themselves with Paul left them open to, to, to the authorities. Remember, Paul is an enemy of the state. He's locked down because he won't, he won't get in line, right? And so this church is saying, we're with Paul. And it was completely illogical for them to do that because it would subject them to, to the same kind of treatment that Paul was getting. And so even though Paul would be a criminal of the state, would be a prisoner, they stuck by his side. They partnered with him. They were friends with him. They, they really asked the question, what does it look like for us to faithfully follow Jesus in the midst of whatever's going on in our lives? And this is what it looked like for them. And in our final passage today, you get to join us as, uh, as we wrap up this book. We've been 13 weeks in it. The summer is going to conclude with us con finishing up this letter to the church at Philippi. And this is how Paul is going to conclude the letter to these faithful saints at Philippi. He says this in verse 14 of chapter 4. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. 
And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So the Apostle Paul is on the front lines of the gospel mission. He's at the front lines, and here's this small, fledgling church. And when I say small and fledgling, I'm saying it was about half this size in this room right now. We're talking about a small group of people. Likely no more than what's in this room. And these are the ones who are putting wind in his sails as he's on the front lines of mission. As, as he's on the front lines carrying the gospel into the hard places. This is the church who's putting wind in his sails to go. To keep moving. To keep going. Now, before we dig into this passage. Before we dig into this text. Um, I want to preface this message with uh, two things particularly. For our guests. Um, working through books of the Bible, verse by verse, is kind of our steady diet here at Sulphur Community Church. This is, this is kind of how we do. This is this Sunday morning. What you're going to get today is kind of what we do every Sunday. We'll pick a book. We'll walk verse by verse through the book until we're done with the book. And then we'll move on. And, and, and so that's just kind of normal for us. And it's beneficial on a couple levels. One, it prevents us from cherry picking verses in the Bible that we could maybe uh, support an agenda that we might have. Right? We can skip some of the hard stuff. Right? That, that today, if I were to say some things that scripture says, um, I could get skin alive by our culture, right? Uh, and so it prevents us from avoiding those things. We have to say those things. It's so, so it's an accountability for the leadership of this church to walk verse by verse through the Bible. But more than that, it's giving us all that God has for us, right? We get everything that God has for us. We don't skip through and try to pick the stuff that's easy for us to, to digest. We're going through all of it. And so this is our steady diet to walk verse by verse. That's why it took 13 weeks to get through four chapters, Verse by verse, understanding everything that God would have for us. And so, on that note, we've been working through this book for 13 weeks, long before we set the date for you to be here. So if you're here, we didn't try to tailor a message to, to try to maybe drive a point home for you individually. This has been 13 weeks in the making, long before we knew you would be with us this morning. That's the first thing I want to say. The second thing I want to say is that we are a volunteer-led church. Our leadership here, we volunteer our leadership. We don't have people on staff. We don't pay salaries or anything like that. Not that that would be unbiblical if we did. It's very biblical to pay church leadership and things like that. But, but our leadership has agreed at this time that we want to volunteer our gifts and our abilities and our times and our talents. So there's no one on staff here. There's no leadership on staff here. And there's this stigma in the world regarding the church, right? Where um, it has this reputation of greed and wealth. I mean, most of the time when you turn your TV on and you turn over to a religious channel, it's people who are... Um, not all the time, but most of the time, I would just recommend you turn, turn the channel to something else. Uh, watch a baseball game or something, because a lot of times these are people who are looking, uh, they're operating out of a, a heart of greed. Uh, they're operating out of uh, a heart of wealth and things like that. And so you just have to be careful with that. Uh, and ch the church has a reputation of that, right? If you, are, if you have a friend or know someone, or you might be that person who's outside of uh, the normal rhythms of church, you might have uh, heard that said before, you know, like all, all the church wants is your money. All they, you know, they're just, just getting richer and greedier. All, that's all they are. 
And so I'm saying that particularly that that we as leaders and pastors at this church, we, we generously share our leadership with this church at this time and we don't take money. Because it's our privilege. It's a privilege to do this and it's our joy to do this, to participate with, with what God is doing in this church and in this community. I share these things with you because, not because I'm apologetic about what scripture says, we're going through this. This is what Scripture says, and I won't apologize about how we're, what, we're, what we're going through today. I share these so that you won't be distracted by those things, that you won't be distracted by uh, the reputation that's given to the church about greed, uh, power-hungry leaders uh, that you read about, or God forbid, who you've been affected by. And so what I hope you'll see in this passage is so much more than just a guy up here reading some scripture and pleading for financial support. I don't need your money, and neither does any leader in this church need your money. So I want to just kind of set that before you, before we kind of get into this text, that when you hear me talk about what's going on in scripture here, I'm not asking for your money. I got a job. I'm taken care of. But what I hope you'll see in this text is partnership. What I hope you'll see in this text is friendship, partnering with God in the mission that he has in this world for all of us. That's what I hope you'll see. What Paul's been trying to convey in this text, in the previous passage, picking up from where David was teaching last week, is that his joy, his joy in Jesus, it's not attached to their purse strings in Philippi over there. Like, it, his joy didn't come from them being generous and them uh, giving to him. That's not where his joy was found. That's what he was trying to say. And he, you saw what he said in verse 13 uh, last week where it said, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And what he was trying to convey to the people there at Philippi was like, hey man, I, your gift was pretty incredible and all, but I really didn't need it. Like, that's not the source of my joy. Whether you gave or whether you didn't give, man, I'm found in Jesus. And that's where my joy is. I am content with Christ. I am content in him. I know who I am. I have my identity in Christ. It's not found in the things that you give and the things that, that you do. If, if that were the case, my joy would be here one day and here the next, right? It's found in Jesus. And so that's what he's looking at. He's like, man, I'm thrilled you guys gave. I'm thrilled that you guys gave to me, but, but it's not that I was desperately in need. It wasn't that I needed money to make me happy is what he's trying to tell them. And what he's trying to convey to them is that God is the one who takes care of him. God is the one who takes care of him. And so his life, his happiness, his security was not based on their money. His life and his happiness and his security, they're all based on the God who takes care of him. Who takes care of his needs. And that's a great place to live. That's a great place to exist. It's from this place that we can then start caring for other people, right? And so as we think about how, we, how might we engage this community, how might we engage the world, we have to be content with who we are in Christ. That's the, good, that's the place to, to be. When you're in Christ, you can be free to care about other people. But if you're not, if you're not content in Christ, you're going to be greedy. You're going to hoard. Things won't satisfy you if Jesus isn't the one satisfying you. You understand what I'm saying? 
And so it's going to be difficult for you to care for other people if your contentment is not found in Jesus Christ. Gospel generosity, it's good for us. It's good for us because it gives us an opportunity to partner in the suffering of those who are going and, and, and engaging in the mission. Paul, had, he had just said... And you gave me money, and that was good, but I'm content in any situation. I don't need it. And then he swings into verse 14, and he says, Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. I don't need these. This is not the source of my joy. I was not in need. I don't need these things. But it was good of you to do that. It was good of you to share in my suffering. And, and he's saying, basically, I'm not saying these things because I needed your money. God has taken care of me. But you did the right thing by sending me money. You did the right thing. But he didn't use the word money here. That's what he's referring to, but he, that's not the term that he used when he said that. He says it was kind of them to share in his trouble. Because when you give to the proclamation of the gospel, whenever I'm engaging the gospel that way, when you support missionaries, when you support churches, you get to be partners with them in their sufferings to, to spread the gospel. We get to partner, we get to link up with people. Wherever they are and however they're suffering, however they're rejoicing and however they're, they're without, and, and, and we get to partner in that with them because... Because that's what Paul is saying here. You're sharing in my trouble. When you decide to pray for, when you decide to support people while they're doing the work of ministry, that's a powerful partnership. It's so much more than just kind of giving a little bit. It's, it's, it's so much more than that. How amazing would it be to be the guy in heaven who let Mary and Joseph use their barn, right? I mean, think about that guy. Yeah, man, I go, yeah, my, my name's Bill, man. It's good to meet you. By the way, I'm the guy that kind of opened up the barn for Mary and him. I mean, I, saw, I had a barn and Mary just showed up. And, you know, I saw, like, that would be the obnoxious guy in heaven. He would all, I, he'd always be talking about it. I would be talking about it all the time. Like, I'm that guy. How would you like to be the guy who, who let, uh, let the donkey go so that, so that Jesus can ride the donkey in, right? It's like, well, I mean, I wasn't using the donkey. It was sitting there. It's a good donkey. Donkey never had an experience like that before. And so, you know, it's just good to meet you. My name's Frank, you know. It's, it's, you have these, like, how cool would it be to be a part of that? To be a part of what God's doing in the world. Amazing. Even little small gestures to be a part of what God's doing. And this is the kind of stuff that you want said about at your funeral, right? Like, you don't want people to say, yeah, he purchased a lot of stuff, a lot of things for his own comfort, and then he died. That's a terrible funeral. You don't want that to be said about you. And so I want to leave a mark in this world that's made of me standing with people in their suffering, in their hardship. That's what I want to be known for. I hope that's what you would want to be known for. And here's, here's the thing. This doesn't require great maturity or a lot of money, right? That's what I want us to make sure we understand. It's like, you, this is not something you have to wait till you grow up and mature in Christ in before you can get involved. And it doesn't mean that you have to get, you know, your, your finances and your salary and things where you need it before so you can start being generous. He said in verse 14, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. This church was... 
this was a small church plant. Like, it was only a year or two into its making at this time. They weren't grown into full maturity. And I'm not talking about, like, church people who came together and gathered and made up this little church. I'm talking about people who just did not know Jesus, who were pagans, who were wicked, who come and Jesus rescued them and redeemed them. And he was forming a church out of them. And immediately, their heart overflowed with generosity. Immediately. They didn't have to wait to get to some mature place. They didn't have to wait till they got a lot of money to do this. Thessalonica was just one city over from Philippi, right? And so Paul's saying, I didn't even get two cities away and you guys start sending me support, start sending me money, and I didn't even ask for it. And they weren't far along in their faith, but they did it. They did it. So to make a difference, you don't have to be old. You don't have to be mature. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be brilliant. You just have to be willing. You just have to be willing, and God can use that. He can use it. Generosity, that's, the, that's a sign that God is at work in your life when you, when you express generosity. And that's verse 17. He would say, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul wants him to know that the gratitude he's expressing is not some underhanded way to try to get more money. Like, you guys did real great giving me that money. Remember that time you gave me all that money? That was a lot of money, man. Y'all helped me out. I was real happy. Remember that time? Like, that's not what he's trying to do. He's not trying to underhand, underhandedly ask them for more money. What, so what does this mean? In this prayer, at the beginning of the book that we just we picked up, Paul prayed for them in verse 9 of chapter 1. He says, this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the prayer that we should be praying over every single believer. If you're a believer in this room, you need to be praying this over your brothers and sisters. That's the prayer we need to be praying for one another. That when Jesus enters our heart, man, he changes our lives. That, 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 that there's just something transformative that happens there. That you begin to bear fruit of righteousness is what he's, what he's praying over them. And that's the normal expectation of every believer. The normal expectation of every believer is that you would bear fruits of righteousness. It should be really, really weird if, if Christians aren't doing that. If Christians aren't fighting for justice. If they aren't loving the unlovable. If they aren't running to the margins to rescue those who need to know Christ. It should be weird if we're not doing that. If we're not engaged that way. If you tell me God changed your heart, then I expect to see it play out in your life. I do. And supporting the work of God is one of the fruits that will come to bear. Getting in there, partnering with, with people, uh, uh, going yourself, being a goer, but, but, or being a sender, either one, that's one way that the fruit of what's been planted in you will come to bear. And let me be clear. I want to be very, very clear uh, here. Um, you don't support the work of God to become a Christian. So I want to make sure you understand that. That you, you trying to muster up generosity and you trying to do the right thing and be good and all those things doesn't earn you anything with Christ. Supporting the work of God, going and, and supporting those who are going, that's the natural extension of your salvation. That's just the normal expression that Christ is in you. Generosity is one of the best ways you can know that God's gotten a hold of your heart. It's one of the best ways you know. 
And incidentally, by, by talking about this, I'm not seeking your gift. I'm talking about this so that fruit can be credited to your account. That's what Paul's want, that was what Paul was after. And that's what I hope we would be after as we look at this text. Is that, that, that in the same way that fruit would be in your, can be put in your account, can be deposited into your account, the fruit of righteousness, so that you would become the man or the woman who gets in the rhythm of giving to the mission of God. Not because it's needed, but that it's good for you that you do that. That it's, first of all, an expression that God has your heart, right? But it's also just a, a way to increase your joy and a way to increase your righteousness. And God will supply his suppliers. He says that in the text in verse 19. He says, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So when you decide to become a part of God's work and give, God says, I'll take care of you. I'm not giving you everything you want, but I'm going to take care of you. And that's what Paul was trying to say. I don't have any needs. I, I mean, if you want to talk about Paul's wants, I'm sure he probably wants to be unlocked from stocks and let out of prison, right? But what he's trying to convey to the Philippians is that I don't have any needs. God has supplied everything for me. And God will supply everything for you as you continue to, to hold your things more and more loosely. For the glory of God. And that's what he says. Our generosity is for God's glory. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. I said this whenever we first opened this book. This is something that a pastor once said. When he wrote a book, he said, Mission exists because worship doesn't. Let me say that again. Mission exists because worship doesn't. The reason we go on mission, the reason we fuel the fire of mission is because there are people in this world who do not know and who do not love Jesus. That's why we do what we do. Do you enjoy worshiping Jesus? Does that bring you joy? Does that satisfy your soul to, to worship Jesus? Well, the whole point that I'm trying to make today is that there's a way to double up on your worship. There's a way to increase your joy. There's a way to, put, to, to have fruit credited to your account. You fund the mission of God to help people know Jesus. You get in behind that, that movement. And you just participated in creating another worshiper. The worship of God will continue to advance the more and more you engage in the mission with him. It's going to advance even more. You fund the mission of God to help people know Jesus. You participate in creating another worshiper. And the more you do this, the more all of our worship is amplified to God. The louder and louder and sweeter and sweeter it gets, the more we engage in this. So we can be a, a people who practice giving for the glory of God. We could be a people about that. For the good of people. For the good of us. For, for all people. And let this reality humble all of us. Is that God is on a mission. He has a mission. He is on a mission. He doesn't need me and he doesn't need you. He doesn't. How bold of us to think that he might actually need us to see that his mission be accomplished in the world. 
but we've been invited into this story. We've been invited to come along. We've been invited to look at where God's working in the world and run to meet him there, to get engaged. And you can be a part of changing someone's life. You can. But you can't do it if your life hasn't been changed. If you don't believe this gospel, if you don't believe that it's good news for you, how in the world will anybody else in the world believe you that it's good news? God is after your heart. He's not after your pockets. He's not after the loose change that you've got. He's after your hearts. And if he doesn't have your heart, then he can't use you in the way that he's calling us as a church to be used. Your generosity is only going to go so far if God doesn't have a hold of your heart. And there have been so many ways that humanity, mankind, us in this room, we've tried so hard to get God to smile at us. We've tried so hard. We've tried a number of things, a number of religious activities, a number of good deeds, a number of right things to say to get God to smile at us. And let me tell you something. Without Christ, he's not going to smile on you. The only way he sees anything good in you is through Christ. What Christ has accomplished, what Christ has done for us, that Christ has gone to the cross, that he has paid a penalty that we owe because of our rebellion and disobedience to God. The minute that we say no to God and yes to something else, which all of us are are guilty of, we've, we've needed Christ to step into that gap, to step into that chasm that has been created. And he did that on the cross. And all that God asked for us at that point then is to say, yes, I believe Jesus. Yes, I believe what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. I believe that there is nothing good in me that can accomplish a smile from God whatsoever. But I do believe that what Christ has accomplished on the cross is extremely sufficient to make me right with God. And so what God asked for is faith. He just asked for faith in Christ. That's all he's asking for. And he's going he's to begin to grow you and to mature you and, and, and to, to walk in him and to see how good he is and to see how beautiful he is. And then, uh, then from there, we, we don't have to sit here and plead about what you should or should not be doing. That when you see all of your satisfaction, your soul satisfaction found in Jesus, then, then all, of this, all of these words that are written in the scripture is going to be encouragement to you and building you up. And so here at our church, like we don't do um, like altar calls and stuff where we come and ask you to like chant some prayer or say something like that. Uh, We believe that the gospel is sufficient to save. But if you want uh, more conversation about that, if you want to if you want to discuss more about what the gospel is, then I invite you to come talk to one of us, one of our pastors at the end of the service. We'd love to sit down and visit with you and pray with you and help you understand what the gospel is. But you do that like you take care of that. You do that today. If God's working on your heart, say yes to God. Say yes to him. Stop saying no. And then generosity will work itself out. Engaging him in his mission will work. It will work itself out. It's not something that we have to try to get the spirit to, to, to work a conviction in your heart about. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come natural. It's going to be the natural fruit that's born from your life. So would you, would you join me in prayer and then we'll close up. Father, thank you so much. Um, Lord, for today, uh, thank you that we have uh, just another opportunity to come and, um, Lord, be with one another, to be with you together. 
to come together around your word, to come together around the, uh, uh, this music and, and these people who are serving uh, us and one another. Lord, but it is in Jesus who we find all of our, our hope and our satisfaction and our encouragement. Thank you, Father, for the, for the work that Christ has done. That while we were yet a long way off, we were far away from you, God, that you sent your son Christ. Not to, not to judge us, not, not to condemn us, but to save us. And just like one of these little ones rehearsed earlier that, that when Christ comes, that if we believe on him, that we too could have eternal life in him. And we would get to be with Jesus forever. And there is no greater gift than that alone, Father. No greater gift. There's nothing that you can give that can surpass the greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, of being with Christ Jesus. You have given us the ultimate gift. Thank you for saving me. Jesus, thank you for doing the unthinkable for me. When I was extremely unlovable, you loved me, Jesus. Thank you for that. Thank you for opening my eyes. Thank you for opening my hearts. I pray now, Jesus, that you would do that in this room. For those who call themselves Christians and for those who would say they're not quite as close to God as they would like to be right now. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that hearts would be opened and that salvation would come to those who need you. That we would see our desperate state. Show us where we are. And then show us how good you are. Lord, let all of these things well up into um, credit in our account that just brings you more and more glory. That as we engage in the mission of God together, that there would be people in this neighborhood, there would be people in this community, and people who are outside of our reach who would who would come to know who you are through the work that we've engaged in. Lord, I know that if the need was right in front of us, that we would do whatever it takes to meet it. So would you bring that need close to us? Not some distant theoretical idea, but would you bring it close to us and would you make it personal for us? so that generosity would just be a, a fruit of the salvation that you've given to us and that the gospel would multiply and increase more and more, making more and more worshipers of every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every language. Let us be found faithful. Let us be found walking in, in obedience. And through your kindness, Father, when we step off of that path, would you help us get back on the path? We need you that way. We need you in so many ways in our life. But Father, help us to say yes to you. Help us to be more obedient to you. Not because, not because it's the thing that earns us a smile from you, but it's because you've already smiled on us. And we want to please you, Father. So we hope you are pleased by our worship here this morning. We hope that you are pleased by uh, where our hearts are this morning. If 
you're not, Father, would you work in this place? Would you work in each individual heart today? And we ask these things in your precious son Jesus' name. Amen.